This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Anyone who is more than a casual observer knows that these past days in Myrtle Beach have been increasingly busy with traffic becoming more hectic, people beginning to think ahead about the tourist season, with indications that spring is not really far away. We all seem like it's already come in some ways. Of course, our Canadian friends have been so great in adding to our annual anticipation of good things to come. Some of them have come earlier. And this is a season when many of our local people are thinking again about being somewhat more careful on the highways, on the streets. <coughs> That's a good thing to do. This is also the beginning of a time when we will have more and more people coming our way who are looking for some re- recreation, refreshment from the normal duties they have back home. This desire for happiness is something which has been within the hearts of people for as long as people have been on the earth. One day when Jesus was in the flesh on the earth, a lawyer came up to him and asked Jesus what he could do to inherit eternal life. Jesus referred him to the Old Testament, and the man readily recited the requirements. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor is thyself. That's from Luke 10, verse 27. Jesus congratulated this man for his correct answer. Then he said, you do these things and you have your own answer. But the lawyer wanted Jesus to be a little bit more specific. Concerning this matter of neighbor, he wanted to know just how far he would have to go with that idea. In essence, what he was asking was, whom can I leave out? What are the limits to my neighborhood? Jesus answered this man's question with a story, as Jesus so often did. Many times he answered a question with another question, and that's what he did in this. You know the parable that Jesus told, called the parable of the Good Samaritan, although interestingly in this whole scripture story, Jesus never refers to that man as good. Story comes perhaps uh, second in popularity with all the parables that Jesus ever told. The first one being the parable of the prodigal son. Let's listen once again to that story. And if you have your Bible and want to follow, then you can read with me. I, I think instead of my reading this story from Luke chapter 10, I'll just ask you to call on your memory. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. So let me just ask you to think with me about what you know about this story. In the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told, we have three distinct groups of people that are pictured. First, there are those who are wounded. Now, we don't know who that man was who was left beside the road. No name is given for him in the Bible. He could have been somebody very important, or he could have been what we would call a nobody. 
But in a real way, in this story, he represents all of us because there's seldom a time when we do not feel that in some way we too have been left beside the road, wounded. Have you ever felt that way? Surely you have. This is such a common experience in life that we all know how it feels. An old seasoned minister was once speaking to a group of young preacher boys who were studying to become pastors. That old preacher gave them some sound advice when he said to them, My young friends, one thing you must always remember when you become a pastor. Always keep a heart full of compassion because everybody is having a hard time. One of my favorite quotations from Wordsworth is this, Believe me, every man has his secret sorrows, which the world knows not. And oftentimes we think a person is cold when he is only sad. It's no fun to be left beside the road, wounded. And if we all had our way, we would never be in this situation. However, one thing which we cannot see while we're in that position is the truth that some of the finest and noblest saints of God are those who have endured much affliction and hardship. The Apostle Paul was one of these. But we can also look about us today even. We can see people who are in the midst of real suffering right now. Perhaps you know somebody. Sometimes when you feel that life may have left you all alone beside the road, you might like to go back and read 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, so that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the same comfort whereby we ourselves are comforted of God. Yes, so many of us can readily identify with this first group of people pictured in this parable, those who are wounded. But there's another group we see here in this marvelous parable Jesus told. That is those who wound. We might divide this second group into two different sections. First, there are those who wound aggressively. In this parable of the Good Samaritan, this group of people is not named. They were the ones who did the, the, the beating and the robbing of that traveler. We don't know who they were. They did their dirty work and moved on. Their attitude in life was, what's thine is mine, and I'm going to take it. <clears throat> I believe I'm safe this morning in saying that there's not a one of us who feels any kinship with these people. None of us would ever think of robbing another person outright. But what about subtle ways in which we may be guilty of robbery? Suppose that robbery is camouflaged by business tactics. Oh, that's another matter, some would say. Business is business. <clears throat> I heard some time ago about a man who boasted to a friend that he had been able to buy a very nice shotgun for only $10 when it was worth, oh, at least $200 to $500. He explained that a man whom he knew 
had died, leaving this fine gun. The man who had bought it boasted, I went to the man's widow and I offered her $10 for that gun. She didn't know what it was worth, but she accepted it. I bought it for $10. Makes me wonder why the man didn't just steal the gun outright and save himself $10. There's another way, a subtle way, in which so many people steal from others. It's very possible to wound aggressively with our tongues. Do you admire a person who's constantly running to you to spread some little bit of news? Have you ever thought that when you are the recipient of news or gossip, really, that that person is saying that I believe you have a, an, an, an ear that wants to hear this. You could say, I, I really would rather not hear bad gossip. But we don't often do that, do we? Well, there are times when people wound not only aggressively, but some people wound passively. These are represented by the priest and the Levite who passed by on the other side. These two men had the philosophy of life, what is mine is mine, and I'll just keep it. This priest may have been in a hurry to get to his duties at the temple or synagogue. It could have been that he simply did not feel he had the time for stopping, taking care of someone who was not on his agenda. I must confess that this aspect of this parable often gives me cause to stop and think. I can relate to that priest, the church official. Yet he was guilty of wounding that man, though he did it passively. The Levite in Jesus' day was one of the other ministers in the temple who was responsible for killing and dressing the sacrifices that were used in worship. He too was guilty of hurting that man beside the road, not actively, not aggressively, but because of what he failed to do. These two men were more worried about themselves than they were about the man who was lying there beside the road. So they just passed him by. If you will notice in a study of the many parables that Jesus told, he hardly ever condemned anybody for a positive wrong. His most bitter criticism came from him aimed at the ones who wounded others passively, those who sinned by doing nothing. In the peril of the talents, remember one man who hid his talent in the ground? In the parable of the great feast, uh, all made excuses why they could not come. But so often, all that's necessary to wreck a person or a cause is simply to do nothing. I had a preacher to speak here at Ocean Lakes several years ago. He was talking about what he called jawbone people. Uh, these are people who just uh, always had something to say that wasn't all necessarily true. Called them jawbone people. And he said he had a phrase for these. After all is said and done, most often things are said and not much is done. <laughs> well, in order to transform a garden into a beautiful spot in a wilderness. You don't have to plant weeds. Just let it go. Let it be there for a while. Don't do anything. 
in order to wreck your church, you don't have to go around criticizing the preacher or other church leaders. All you need to do is just become inactive or casual in attendance or support or prayer for your church. In order to lose the affection of your spouse, your mate, wife, or husband, you don't have to become unfaithful. You don't have to run away from home or do some outright wicked thing to your mate. All you need to do is just let the relationship cool down by failure to express love. You see, we can wound somebody passively by what we fail to do or with our tongues by what what we fail to say when we should speak up for what we know is right. Who was it who said some of the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in times of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality? Yes, silence may be golden, but sometimes it may also be yellow. But there's a third group which we are seeing in this Bible parable of of Jesus represented here, and that's those who heal. These are represented by, of course, the, the Good Samaritan. His philosophy of life was, what is mine is thine, and I'll share it. Did you notice this Samaritan is not described as having any more treasure than the other people had? Any more resources? You may have heard some people say, well, if, if, if I were to be able, I'd be glad to help other people. But I know some other people who are much more well off and they ought to do it. And so we don't do anything. This Samaritan probably had no more skill as a physician, no more oil and wine to pour on wounds, no more reason to stop and care for that wounded man beside the road than others who had simply passed him by. But one thing the Samaritan did have more of than the others was a heart of love. This was the kind of love which was ready to follow through. He took the wounded man to an inn. You know what he said to the innkeeper? Innkeeper, you fix up this man... And when he's well, if he's worth anything at all, he'll make it right with you. He'll pay his bill. No, no. The good Samaritan didn't say that at all, did he? What he did say was, you take care of him, innkeeper, and I'll take it all on myself. You may count on me to pay the bill. And then he took out two pence and gave them to the innkeeper. Some translations say he took out two denarii. And the Revised Standard Version of the Scripture, uh, a footnote says that a denarius was a day's wages for a laborer. Many of us would seriously consider helping people, but giving two days' worth of money we've earned to some person we don't even know? Uh, Thank God there are those people in the world who are more concerned about helping with healing than with taking from others. What became of that man who was wounded? Well, we don't know. Chances are he may have been right back in the same situation the next month. But the point is that this good Samaritan helped him when he had the chance. Jesus answered the question which that lawyer was asking that day. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered with a question. 
which one acted like a neighbor. The point was plain. Did you notice that this man didn't even want to use the word Samaritan in his reply to Jesus? He just said, the one who showed mercy. The whole point of this story was that when Jesus said, go and do thou likewise, Jesus would not let the matter end in theory, in just words. If this sermon this morning ends with you hearing a beautiful story about a man who helped some another man on Jericho Road, if that's all you get from this, then I must confess this sermon fails to do what it ought to do. Jesus' words demanded action. We can do much through organized charity, through mission offerings in churches, through other types of contributions for community agencies and things like that. But the point of what Jesus was saying here is that there's no substitute for personal contact. Go and do thou likewise. Jesus did not specifically answer the lawyer's question when he asked that, but Jesus answered the more important question, which should have been asked. The question which was which should not have been asked was, who is my neighbor? But the question should have been, who acted like the neighbor? This question, which we all face every day, is not who's worthy of my love and goodwill, but rather the question is, do I have the kind of love which seeks the good of all people, even under the worst of circumstances? Love is not a self-centered feeling of being able to help somebody else and thereby feel good yourself. Love is rather an overflow of one's heart, which forgets itself in the presence of human need. Someone wrote this little quotation. I want to share it with you in closing. It's called, Listen, Christian. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club, and you discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel, and there, in the midst of beautiful surroundings, you prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your own mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you were too busy to come visit me, but you did kneel and thank God for your health. I was homeless. And you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to go to your church to sing, Just when I need him, Jesus is near. You seem so holy, so close to God, but still I'm very hungry and lonely and cold. So where have your prayers gone? What have they done? What does it profit a man to isolate himself in a beautiful church when the rest of the world is crying for help? So the test of genuine worship is not how beautifully we may dress when we come to church. It's not how well we might sing a hymn of praise. It's not even how reverent we might be when we come into the presence of God through prayer. And though it may sound strange, 
like even heresy to hear it from a preacher. The proof of genuine worship is not demonstrated by the amount of money we may give when we come to church. The real test of our worship comes when we go out from the place of worship, out there in the highway of life, and we encounter that person who needs to see the love of Jesus lived out in us. We need to be like Jesus. I heard about a mother one day who was preparing pancakes for her two sons, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, his brother, age three. These two boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake that Mama, Mama made. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson here as they were little boys were fussing. Each boy was wearing a WWJD uh, bracelet. What would Jesus do? And so she said, to him, sons, you know, if Jesus were sitting here, you know what he would say? He would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can just wait. The older boy said to his younger brother, Mama's right. Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> Still had that greed, didn't he? Well, I don't know when your test will come. It may come on the way home today from this place of worship. And if you're not with us, maybe you're listening by podcast, whatever, wherever you are, it may come where you least expect it. It may be before you go to bed tonight. It may be in some way in which you had no idea it would come, but you'll have an opportunity to minister to another person in the name of Jesus. Are you going to be ready when that chance comes? Will you be a good Samaritan to one of these whom God loves? Oh God, give us open eyes, we pray, to see need all about us. And not to ask if that person deserves our love or throw up all kind of excuses, but help us to be willing to be like Jesus in every way. We pray in his wonderful name. Amen.